Hey, Cameron Brown here on the World of Speakers podcast with Ryan Folland. This was an absolutely epic conversation today. We started off talking about how I sold everything that I owned and then delved right into the depths of the mentality needed to be a professional speaker and to do it extremely well. We finished off with Ryan committing to doing interpretive dance on stage. You're not going to want to miss this. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy everyone, I am back and today I am with a friend of mine who I have seen travel around the world speaking like it is his business and it is his business. His name is Cameron Brown. He is an international keynote speaker. He is a high performance expert and he has given the closing TEDx talk in Italy's largest TEDx. That is TEDx Roma. It is massive and when you hear what he did on the stage, it's going to blow your mind. Cameron, welcome to the show, and let's kick it off. How are you today? I'm doing awesome, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So where in the world are you? It's kind of like Carmen San Diego, but it's Cameron <laughs> Brown Diego. I love that, man. Uh, I'm in Colorado at the moment, so uh, officially moved to the US after being in Europe for a period of time, and so it's it's great to be here now. It's, uh, yeah, absolutely loving it here. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you like to travel? I'm definitely up the 9, 10 mark. At the moment, I'm good just being in one location for a while after an insane travel period of 10 countries across four continents. So Ooh. I definitely go in waves and yeah. uh, and I'm on a on a wave of, of being nice and settled in one location before ramping it back up. And I think you know the next 12 months, I'll still be in about four different countries, but uh, that's that's definitely less than what it has been previously. Yeah, it's fun to talk with people who are doing a lot of traveling and speaking. I do that as well. And I did the calculations the other day. It was a three-day trip to go into town to speak for a 45-minute keynote and then basically travel. You know, it's like 36 hours. Mm. And you do the math, like one divided by 36 hours, and it ends up being something like 99.93% of the time (laughs) is is everything except for speaking. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was a kind of funny realization to where, you know, it's glorified to speak and travel around the world and you have to love the whole thing. You mm. can't just love being on stage because it's such a small fraction of the time. And I know you experienced that as well. So it's good. Absolutely. So before we dive too much into some of the tips and how you've had success getting stage time, mm. I always like to ask people a story that is from your past where if I was introducing you to somebody that had never met you before and you weren't there, I'd say like, oh my gosh, you got to meet this guy, Cameron. Oh, this one time he was dot, dot, dot. So what's a fun story that helps to basically like uncover who you are as opposed to just reading your accolades and bios and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, So a couple of years ago, I was going overseas. I went overseas for the first time and then I ended up running some events in the US. I'm from Australia originally had no connections in the US at all previous to doing those events. And in the four months leading up to it, built relationships through digital technology, specifically through social media, and then hosted peer network events, peer network uh, invite-only events. On the way back on that first trip, I had this little feeling and this little nudge of a feeling when I was flying in the air of that there's just stuff sitting at home that was wasting away and somebody else would be better off with it than I would. 
And I didn't do anything about it at that time. And it wasn't until I flew back over and, and ran the next series of events a few months later that there was an even more of a nagging feeling. And it ended up leading to selling everything that I owned. I had no intention at the time of doing that. But I'm a big believer in being a living and breathing example of what I speak and coach on and really wanted to demonstrate not only that you don't need things to be happy, but also that you can utilize technology like I had been to speed up and magnify the impact that you make in the world. So to really demonstrate that rather than just being on stage about it, I, I sold everything that I owned and then embarked on a, on a global quest to inspire people and inspire change in people. What transpired then was 18 months of a, a crazy adventure, 10 countries across four continents, meeting remarkable people and experiencing things that I would have never even dreamed of experiencing. You know, the beautiful things out of that came from speaking engagements across four continents to more than a million people seeing the videos that I'd uh, launched out and released organically, along with a number of other great things that came of that, including, like you mentioned, the the closing talk at, uh, at TEDx over in Italy. And that was the first time I'd ever been in Europe. So it was kind of cool to be over there for the first time and delivering out a, a closing talk and doing what I did on, on the stage there. So that's the story that I like to share because it really demonstrates that if you're challenging what's possible and continuing to challenge what's possible and not only challenging it in your mind, but at challenging it in action, then magic can happen pretty quickly, especially when you line up and align yourself to why it is that you're here and the outcomes that you're ideally wanting to achieve and the impact you're wanting to make. I'm officially jealous. Like it's official. You know, if, if, there, was a, <laughs> if there was a jealous meter, the jealous has, has gone over. One thing you said there at the very end caught my ear. It's challenging in action, making things happen. Mm. I love that. So a story like that, I mean, you classically hear of the fable or fairy tale where somebody sells everything and then travels around the world. But that's reality for you, which is very cool. And then you get to Europe and you literally get the red carpet experience like off of the plane pretty much, right? It was a great experience. I actually flew to Budapest for the month and I had rehearsal there for the month. We'll get into what what I actually did for that talk shortly, I'm sure. But uh, I had a a grand piano. Uh, It was a 150-year-old grand piano in the apartment that I was leasing there, rehearsing the talk and what I did on stage there. It was funny, the, the actual... The piano, when I arrived there, the person who I was leasing it from for the month said that when she first purchased the piano, she found money stuffed in the, like old money stuffed in the back of the, of the <laughs> piano. Amazing, right? And it just made me, wow. made me think because she said like it was such old money and you just imagine how, like who played that? Like that piano made it through wars, uh, World War One, World War Two. And it's just amazing to think like what stories that would have to tell in terms of things that had happened in the past. So it was pretty cool, even though it was like totally out of tune. <laughs> when, I, when I was rehearsing, I, we had a recording of the song that was utilized in the talk and, and it, it sounded so out of tune. The song did because of what I was playing and I, I had to go down to this music store and said, look, can I just play for a few minutes and, and test out a couple of couple of digital pianos and, and went down there and, and had my headphones in to make sure that it was good and it was like a massive relief thinking that, yeah, just knowing that we didn't have to re-record anything else that had been done up until then because it was a massive project. So aside from it being out of tune, it was pretty cool. Now, would you consider yourself a minimalist or an essentialist, anything like that? 
Yeah, minimalist is definitely. I mean, I have so I even though I'm based in the US now and and will be for some time, I still only have one bag that goes on my backpack and then a medium-sized suitcase that's everything that I own. And I may upgrade to a large suitcase that's uh, <laughs> as far as I I think I'll go at this stage. And I love that one of the most valuable things out of it I found anyway is that I don't have to think about some of the stuff that people have to think about in terms of purchasing different things. I don't have to think about certain bills or certain, like a car, for example. I've calculated and know that there's a certain number that I've got in my mind that is much better off having, being able to either get an Uber or Lyft or some other ride share or public transport before going and getting a car. And, and I'm not even coming close yet to spending that amount per week. So it, uh, it makes perfect sense, which means that I don't, I don't have to think about anything going wrong with it. I don't have to think about servicing, which means that I get more time to spend on the things that matter most, which is to me making an impact and uh, you know doing things that inspire people around the world. So the way you were just describing that, right? Basically having nothing essentially in hands, nothing to worry about, the ability to focus on what matters, which is making an impact. Mm. And honestly, in my mind, you're describing a speaker. Like, I don't think I've really made that connection before, but if you think about it, when you're on stage, you really don't have everything. You don't have your car. You might have a grand piano, which is cool, right? That's a separate story. But there's something like minimalistic and pure just about being on stage. It's you, it's your voice, it's people listening to you. Like, I don't know, I'm just sort of thinking of how, how epic that really is. And that maybe that's one of the appeals and the beauty of speaking is it's just, there's no bells and whistles. It's not like they're CGI. You're not looking at some Mm. crazy digitally enhanced whatnot. Do you see that connection? Is that one of the things that leans your personality to being a professional speaker is that simplicity element of speaking? I definitely see the connection and I see the connection in when I'm feeling most aligned to why I'm here, because when I'm feeling most aligned, I'm most present in the moment. And I think that happens on stage as well. If you're not present, if you're thinking about, oh, do they like me? Don't they like me? Have I said the right thing? Have I said the wrong thing? Um, And you've got this mental dialogue going on in the moment. You're not truly serving. You're in your own world. You're in the past or you're in the future rather than right there in that moment. And so, yeah, I think that absolutely has, there's a component to that. And I'd also say like on stage, I mean, we're, to me, it's like a performance. Anyone can provide a talk in terms of a video online. People can go and watch that video. And if they're getting the same kind of experience in person as they are at home when they're watching it, there's not as much likelihood they're going to go out and see you speak, for example. Whereas if you can provide an experience, then that's what really people are looking for. And that comes back to, I mean, realizing when I was traveling the world that life really is about experiences, not things. We have the opportunity as professional speakers to provide an experience that they can't get anywhere else, to be able to provide an insight in a way that uh, moves them or shakes them or has them change their perception about something in the world, uh, about themselves, about their others, about the planet. And I think that's a beautiful experience to be able to provide people. And I definitely see similarities in how I choose to live life and the, the onstage component as well. And, and I love that. All right. So I'm going to go one more step meta here. What you were talking and I was now envisioning people having mental baggage, like the size of the bag that they have on stage. If they're worried about what people are thinking, it's like a bigger bag versus getting rid of that. And would you say that there are essential items 
like maybe three essential items that you would keep with you. You know, the whole classic, you're on an island and you get to choose a book or this or that. But when you're on stage, the mental baggage that you have or what you are going to pack in your brain, what would be like three things that you would bring with you or that you put in your brain bag Mm. before you speak? Great question. I would go with first and foremost, I would keep the reference points for how things have gone really well and lock that in that when I'm under pressure, that's when I absolutely, it's game on. So having the reference points from the past, that helps to support that. So that's, uh, that's one. The other is uh, like a meditation before I actually go on stage that helps to calm thoughts and feelings. And, and the other would be uh, an anchoring, a physical anchoring. So I have, I'm not sure if those tuning in know and understand about anchoring is that uh, when we can... Uh, it's on a sailboat, right? Like when you have a sailboat and you take an anchor and you throw it in the water, like when I go to... Exactly. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> no, it's, so it, it comes back to like with psychology, classical conditioning. Pavlov's dogs is a great example. So when Pavlov, with, with the dogs, they would come out they would get fed food and they would ring a tuning fork at the same time. And the dogs would salivate, they'd eat because they were hungry and they could see the food there. Uh, They did that over and over and over again to a point where they would ring the tuning fork and the dogs would salivate without the food even there. And so we can utilize these anchors. We have these anchors anyway in how we've been conditioned. It just comes down to whether we are consciously utilizing them to experience the world as we want it or not want it. So I have, for an example, I have my thumb and my index finger on both sides is if I push them together really tightly because I've done this over time and conditioned it is that my body just goes into a relaxation mode. And if I'm nervous, for example, or there's any form of anxiety or anything like that, then I'll put those and push those together. And I'm doing it right now. And I feel it. I feel it going down. Me too. Me too. So, so basically that's the bell is your fingers. Exactly. So you're finding maybe like you're in nature or you're like peaceful and you're like, I'm going to like, like frame that, or I'm going to anchor it. I'm going to add a link of chain to this line or anchor. Exactly. So you do it over time. So this takes time. So you want to, for those tuning in, if you have nerves or you feel anxious, first of all, anxious feelings and uh, like nervousness and excitement, same kind of feeling. Mm. And so if you're feeling nervous or feeling anxious, you just switch your focus to go, Oh, maybe it's just, I'm really excited about adding value and being of service. And that can help just to switch that straight away. But in terms of the anchoring, you want to, when you are getting yourself into a really great space, so this is with, uh, let's say, for meditation, for example, or you're just going and having a bath or something that really relaxes you, you're out in nature. When you are at that point already of feeling really, really relaxed, that's when you set that trigger off. And so you hit that. And so it might be your, your thumb and index finger. I like that because no one can really know what I'm doing uh, because it's not, it can be nice and hidden if I need it to be. Whereas if you've got like, if you're pressing your shoulder and you're going out on stage and you're just constantly pressing your shoulder, people are going to go like, what's wrong with this guy, right? So that's not really going to work. So just be conscious about where you are setting that anchor up in your body or on your body somewhere. So yeah, you do that over and over and over again, and then you want to test it out. So you test out the anchor um, in a moment where you are a little, it's a little heightened in terms of the stress or nervousness and just press it and notice the relaxation starts to come down. It might be strong enough. You might need to continue doing it for a while. And you just repeat that over and over and over again until a point where it's really locked in. And you can do that for happiness. You can do that for anything. So it's a really powerful tool to use. And I thought I was just, 
on a podcast. I feel like I'm laying on the couch paying top dollar for psychoanalysis and I love it. This is such a cool, I mean, I'm a sailor, so I, I love just anchoring and, and you have that control over it. Mm. But the idea of practicing anchoring on your own body to associate it and trigger feelings that you want to tap into, that's brilliant. I dig it. Awesome, man. That's your next TEDx talk right there. How's that? Yeah, we can do that, man. It's something that I've done with clients for many years now and it, and it just works so well Yeah. because uh, yeah, when you realize and understand that we are able to consciously create how we feel on stage, consciously create how we experience our world, we can go about actually consciously creating that versus being reactive to it and wondering why I'm feeling this way. So more conscious creation is definitely a, an empowering way to go. Well, let's roll with this. Let's consciously create some more tips and tricks that are just going to continue to blow people's minds. And Ladies and gentlemen, when you hear this, I want you to anchor it <laughs> so that you are not only getting these tips, but you're anchoring it. And then when you're preparing for a speech, you anchor and you pull back some of these tidbits that we're about to hear. So if you're working with somebody and you're trying to level up their speaking game, how do you even start to approach that? And then what are some of the, the tactical tips and tricks that you could share with us that you're going to be doing with them? Yeah. Definitely. So the ones I've mentioned straight away, definitely guys, write those down. Make sure that you're utilizing those. So we went through anchoring. We went through shifting from nervousness to excitement and noticing that that's actually similar energy. So knowing that you can actually switch that in a, in a moment's notice. Another is, again, from a switch of focus point of view, usually when you are, when there's nerves kicking on, there is a focus on what you're not wanting to experience. It is, oh no, what if I say something wrong? What if they don't like it? What if, what if, what if? And it ends up being something and you're focusing on what you don't want. Where focus goes, energy flows, right? And so where we want to do is we want to switch that focus. So imagine flipping the focus over and like actually flicking a switch from right to left or left to right, however you want to position it in your mind. So we go, okay, I noticed that I'm focusing on something that I don't want right now. What is it that I do want? Oh, well, I want to serve these people. I want to be of really great value. Okay, great. What's one thing that I can do on stage that would allow that to really, really drive home? And all of a sudden, you've just switched your focus and not only switched your focus from an emotional point of view, but you've also switched it from a, then a physical point of view because you've got a specific action you are going to take as a result of that. I'm very big on action because thinking about it, that's not going to solve any of your problems. Thinking about it and actually working out what you need to do next and then actually doing something about it, that's a much, much better use of your time. So that's the next, so switching your focus. Uh, next up, is the power of what I call reference points. Now, this can be within your speaking business. It can also be across the board. So just keep in mind, these uh, strategies are human behavioral strategies. They're high performance strategies. So you can utilize these and implement them into many areas of your life. But let's, you know, we'll stay on, on topic in terms of speaking. So when it comes to, when it comes to reference points, often again, why, why people will experience maybe thinking that people are going to judge them or being a little terrified about what people are going to think or what they're going to say or whether you might believe that you're going to screw things up on stage and just forget your lines or forget your words because you don't have slides and you're just talking to people and being really vulnerable in that moment. Any of those things that come up, what often happens is we have this, what I call a reference stack. And what a reference stack is that it ends up being often a stack of reference points and it can be either a positive reference stack or a negative reference stack. But if you're experiencing those uh, not so great experiences or not, ex not, not so great emotions and those thoughts about things going wrong, then there's a good chance you've got a reference stack that is negatively charged. And so when we understand, well, usually what that will be, if you imagine where those actual reference points are in your mind, 
usually when I'm working with a client one-on-one and we're, we're breaking through things that have been holding them back for many years, usually they're stacked right in front of them, front and center, and they can access them any time of the day, right? And then when, when they're asked to access any reference points that are positive about those situations, it's really, really challenging for them to answer that question because they are so scattered around the place and this negatively charged reference stack is so prominent that they can't really see past that. And so it becomes more challenging to actually find those reference points. But when you do, and you're again, consciously creating those reference points, then you're able to build those up from a positive standpoint. And that comes from practice. It comes from rehearsal. It comes from understanding that the speaking engagement maybe that you're about to do is nothing like you've done before. I'll give a personal example. This was in my childhood. Uh, I, I entered this talent contest and I still remember this is back in the small hometown that I grew up in. We parked the car down the main street and I had my music notebook with me so that with all, with all the sheet music in there for the song that I was going to perform in this talent contest. And as I st- uh, came out of the right back seat of the car, I thought, you know what? I'm going to leave my sheet music here and I'm going to do it without sheet music. And I went in, I think, you know, going for it. And I went up and I bombed out. I, I bombed, man. I, I stuffed up completely. I would love to see or hear if, if anyone's got a video. If anyone's tuning in and you just happen to be in the Sajuna Talent Show in Outback Australia, then uh, please contact me because I want to I wanna hear how much I stuffed up because I swear the only person that actually enjoyed that was my grandfather who was almost completely deaf at the time. So, that's, uh, so that, that was a pretty, a pretty big moment in my life where even up until the last few years has been me overcoming that reference point that it was negatively charged, right? It was this went wrong. When I'm on stage, then I screw up, right? So that's like a belief that I had, especially when I'm on stage and I don't have prompts with me, then I stuff up, right? So that was something that I had to work through and overcome uh, in terms of smashing that belief apart. Now, one of the ways to do that, yes, it's about creating positive reference points and a positive reference stack as I'm going about doing new engagements. But the other part was that knowing and understanding that this situation, let's say the talk that I gave at TEDx where I was on stage and I had a grand piano and uh, you know, it was a major project associated with that, like that was a, one, a massive moment in my life. And uh, what I brought in in the lead up to that is that I have rehearsed much more than that moment back when I was a child. I have had much more experience. I am a more emotionally available human being. I know how to manage my emotions more effectively. I have anchoring, like another example. I had all of these different uh, examples to showcase that this experience is nothing like that experience that occurred. Hmm. Because what happens is we end up uh, what's called deleting, distorting, and generalizing. Um, I think this is going to be important to go through. So any single moment, we are, depending on who's done the study, but it's somewhere around one to two million bits of information is coming to us every single second. And we can process somewhere around 0.1 of a percent of that information that's coming to us. What that means is that we have no idea what reality actually is. And so if that's coming into us every single second, what we end up doing with that information is we delete, we distort, we generalize based on the beliefs that we have about the world and about our speaking career in this, in this specific example, we delete out anything that is not in alignment with those beliefs. 
So it would be any time that I had, if we use my personal screw up as an example, it's uh, you know any time where things had gone well since then on in performances or speaking, I had deleted them out because I was only focusing on the times that I had screwed things up. So you delete out and keep anything that is going to stack on top of that negative reference stack that I have already. I would then distort anything that is out of alignment with what I was experiencing. So maybe I did a a performance to a smaller group of people and it would be that distortion. It would be, yeah, the only reason I was able to do that is because there was a smaller amount of people there. Mm. Right, So I've just distorted, rather than just taking that reference point and stacking that as a positive reference point, I've distorted it into a negative reference point that allows me to believe what I currently believe about myself, which is an identity belief. It's one of the strongest forms of beliefs in the world that we have that we can either utilize to create the change we want in the world and changing ourselves or keeps us really, really stuck. So there's distortions and then there's generalizations. What happens is that we go over time is that we go from that one moment of I screwed up at that talent contest to I screw up every time I'm on stage. Yeah. And when it, whenever you notice yourself in your life, in your speaking business, wherever you notice this language, when you say it to yourself all the time, never, not at all, everyone, no one, those absolutes be very, very curious about what comes out of your mouth next because those words will either be supporting your success or absolutely smashing it down towards detrimental to your well-being. And so understanding that generalizations can actually be a really, really good thing, but they can actually also destroy the things that you're wanting to experience. So generalizing out, another one could be, you know, anyone, every time I'm on stage, people are judging me. You know, every time I'm on stage, people really don't get what I'm talking about. They never seem to get what I'm talking about. Right. Right. Hear the words. Never, all the time, everyone, those absolutes. If you're, Here's the thing. 0.1 to 0.01, depending on, again, who's done the studies. That is such a small percentage of what reality actually is. If that's the case, you might as well make up stuff that is supportive of your success. If we're going to be making up stuff, you might as well make up a positive reference stack rather than a negative reference stack. And so anytime that you're on stage now going forward, look for those positive reference points that you can lock in. Look for the things and do it as soon as you possibly can. When I came off stage, there was a talk that I gave last year, uh, about 700 people, grand piano on stage, like $100,000 piano, massive like screen which showcased all of the footage of mine from around the world, beautiful closing out of this event and I smashed it that night. And I just locked in those reference points straight after, as soon as I walked off stage. And it was language like, you absolutely nailed it. See, when you're under pressure, you can absolutely do this. Not only can you do this, you do do this. You smashed it too. You absolutely killed it out there. Yeah, that kind of language straight away, as soon as you possibly can. And on a daily basis, at the end of the day, when you're reflecting on the day as well, I find works extremely well in terms of building those up. So that's what I'd suggest there in terms of reference stacks. I think they're they're probably the key ones. Again, like all, all of this is behavioral. As long as you are putting the time in and the effort in, the energy in, which you should be, because if somebody is paying you to speak, or even if they're not paying you to speak, but you've got an opportunity to speak to 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 people, you've got the opportunity and the potential to change those people's lives. Don't take that lightly. 
Focus on how you can make sure that you are very well rehearsed to give yourself the best chance of success out on stage and allowing yourself the best chance of serving in the way that you know that you're able to. Brilliant, buddy. I I love that. That is so insightful, simple, and it's the kind of thing that you probably might not know is happening, but it's going to be a total game changer for you. It reminds me about confirmation bias, and that's something that I'm super passionate about because it, it has a lot of similar tones to where your brain, from an evolutionary standpoint, tries to reinforce the fact that the reality you create is correct. Like your brain wants to be right. So if you think that you're going to be late, you are going to process and distort and eliminate information that doesn't support that thesis, right? So it really is a mind over matter. But I like this idea of reference stacking and anchoring. And uh, yeah, it's on your speaker boat. Make sure you have the right tackle so that when you get up on stage, you're nice and secure and you can back that up consistently. Exactly. Very cool. Love it. So let's talk and transition into how to get up on that stage because all this is great, but if you never get stage time, (laughs) it doesn't work as well, right? Or if you don't get yourself the opportunity to have those crushing moments, then you can't stack up those positive reference points. Mm. So everybody has their own theory, their own strategy. And in a general sense, the vibe that I hear from all these speakers around the world is, It's not an easy thing. It takes time. There's an excess supply of speakers. But what is it that has worked for you? And how can other people emulate that, uh, modifying it for their own success? What is the advice you give to people for them to make it on the stage more often, to monetize their message, that end of the spectrum? Mm. It's, uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first, and this is what's been extremely valuable for me personally, and it's been invaluable for others as well, uh, is, is find that unique angle that you have and not just unique angle, but unique and valuable because anyone can come up with a unique angle, but if no one wants to listen to it, then you're not getting on stage, right? If you haven't got something that is relevant, is something that is of value to other people that they want to hear, then yeah, it, it's not going to cut it. And it's taken a long period of time for me to to work out how I could utilize music. So as I'm talking about music, those of you tuning in, think about the music as what your unique angle is. So start thinking about what's my music? What's my song? What is that version of it for me? So for me, it, it is music. I've been writing for 17, you know, 17, 18 years now and I uh, you know, have music that's been heard by millions of people. And so it was for the last number of years now, it's been about how can I bring that on stage in a way that's not seen as cheesy, in a way that's not seen as a gimmick, but is perceived as a unique point of difference that is highly valuable? And that has taken time. So that's one suggestion that I'd make is is be patient with this. Don't let that stop you from trying things out because it's in trying things out that you learn what works and what doesn't work. So I, you know, there were a number of times where I'd have a, a digital piano on stage, for example. And while it was okay, to me, it was that kind of that cheesy factor. And I had seen other people utilize music in their talks and I had cringed at some of the talks that I watched just thinking that's, that's not classy to me. I want this to be classy. I want this to be to, to, for it to feel like it's an exclusive experience that they can't get anywhere else. And so, so you won't see me on stage with a digital piano now. It's a grand piano or it's nothing. And, uh, you know, maybe I would have... Uh, I've thought about this. I'd maybe have, would have a, like an upright piano if it was like out, it was like an outdoor performance and it was like this crazy weird looking piano or, or had some story attached to it, which again would add that 
uh, uniqueness to it while still being classy, that might be a possibility. But knowing and understanding and what will allow the message that I have to share with the world and utilizing that uniqueness to enhance that. With that, I want to tell just to share another quick story about this. Back in school, I learned music for five years and it was in grade eight it would have been. I remember coming back from a music class, like a piano class, and I had the sheet music in my hand. And I, I went to put the sheet music in my in my bag and, and a guy next to me thought it was one song by this cool band uh, at the time and it was a song by another band that not so cool. And just the, it was the look on his face. It was hardly anything said in that moment. It was just a small, a small exchange of conversation. And, and I would almost guarantee he wouldn't even remember that. But for me, it was a moment of what I'm doing is not cool. And I ended up, uh, while that was, uh, it was a big part of it, I also just didn't like learning sheet music. I preferred to learn by ear instead. Um, so there was an, uh, an experience of that in itself. But I stopped playing music. And for the next two years, I stopped completely. And it was, I, I look back and I only realized reasonably recently that co- directly correlated with two of the most challenging years of my life. Hmm. And I was to a point of not wanting to be here on this planet anymore. And it was, uh, yeah, looking back, it was a a very challenging time in my life. When I found that again and I started, I remember walking past the piano one day and just looking to the right of me as I walked through and thought, I'll give that another go and sat down and I started writing my own music. I never read sheet music again. I just played by ear and played whatever flowed through me. And, you know, there was, like I said, 17 or so years now of creating that and performing that has been and now building it into the talks has allowed me to look back at that moment and go, man, I'm glad that I found myself again because throughout that time I bought into someone else's definition of what cool was, which meant that I was trying to fit into the external world rather than going, no, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to utilize what I have been put on this earth to do and I'm going to let that shine. And magic has happened as a result of that because now I look look and go, huh, the very thing that was perceived as uncool by somebody back then is the very thing that is seen as freaking awesome by people right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that is just incredible, you know, to taking a grand piano out into the wild and have a commercial drone videographer to bring a piano on stage and just having these crazy projects. I love that. So the lesson in this is that there is possibly something that you are thinking about right now, wondering oh, maybe I can't do it. Maybe, you know, oh, no, nah, I, I, don't, I don't think people will like that. Be curious about how people might like that and how you might position it in a way that they would like that. That's something that's really important to double down on because if you can really understand what that is, that can allow you to bring a really cool, unique point of difference on stage. And it doesn't have to be music. Just look at what that unique angle is for you. So that's what I would say first and foremost. The next is just get out there and build relationships. I mean, three and a half years ago, I made a decision that instead of, while everybody else was uh, focused on getting clients, getting gigs, all that kind of stuff, I was going to focus on relationships that would last me for the next 50 years. And for me, I'm in this for the long term. You know, I, I don't plan on dying anytime soon. <laughs> I, mean, I, I hope I'm going to be around for a good another 40, 50, 60, 70 years, depending on what uh, health stuff comes in over the years, right. maybe even longer. Right. And I plan on doing this for that time. At this stage, I don't see that changing. 
I can see any situation that would happen in the future unless I lost my physical voice. And even then I'm like, oh, how could I like bring technology into it to show people and like challenge people to what's possible, right? Um, the, The message would just continue on. And so with that, it's important to understand if you are dedicated and committed to this craft, you should be putting strategies in place that are for the long term, not just the short term. So that's another big lesson that I, that I learned and it's, it's, I'm three and a half years into that and it's uh, to me, while the external world goes, holy crap, this is amazing what you're doing, to me internally, I'm going, I'm, I'm just getting started, right, right? right? Because some of the relationships are only just starting to form after two, three years and I know that some of those will take maybe five years. Some of them might take seven or eight years. I'm totally cool with that Yeah, because as long as they're continuing to build and build momentum, now the beautiful thing is, is that you will, there will be some opportunities that will come in in the shorter term as well. So, you know, while I have uh, personally have a number of speakers bureaus now representing me across North America, I wouldn't wait for that to happen if you're just getting started. Like go out there and speak, find places to speak at, find places to really hone your craft, find that unique message as well. And yeah, be building those relationships because if you can build the relationships with really good people and do it in a genuine way where you are giving freely without expectation, knowing you'll get taken care of in some way, shape or form, so you believe and know that you're worth it internally, unconsciously, but you are—you don't need it to come from anywhere because you know that the universe is all connected, which science is proving now. So then all of a sudden, this beautiful energy about you is that I'm able to talk to this person, add value to this person, and I don't need anything from this person. And that's really attractive in a relationship because you're not, need, you're not trying to get something from them. You're not just giving to get. You're not just taking from the relationship. And you do that opportunities come that other people wouldn't get while others are getting, you know, having to apply, for example, to a call for speakers, you've got a relationship with the event organizer and guess who they're going to come to first if they've, if they know that you're able to provide the solution to the theme or the talk that they're wanting to have provided. They're coming to someone that they've got an actual relationship with first and foremost. And so building that is such a valuable way to, to go about it, to me anyway. And it's worked so well. Um, it continues to work really well. And, and I'm super excited about continuing to build that in. And you really do practice that. And you don't just only preach it. You don't just only help other people. And one thing that I, I really admire and respect about your relationship building is that in a digital age, you are having success with that. Mm-hmm. So when people talk and I hear about relationships and you know some of the buzzwords about it and and everybody hears that, but you've been using digital tools, digital technology. You seem to have a way to bridge the online and offline world where LinkedIn, for one example, you are literally yeah. connecting with hundreds of thousands of people, but not just on a surface level. You know, I experienced one of your, one of your rock and bowl events where you brought these people mm-hmm. from all over and brought them into a, a bowling event. And it was one of the like most memorable nights I've had bowling. Not that I've done a lot of bowling or anything, <laughs> but but maybe you can share like a three minute crash course in people who understand the value of building relationships, but they just don't maybe know how to do it using digital technology. And I think that's such a strength of yours. Mm. If you were to give a three minute mini lesson, I think that's high value. What to do or not to do to build through LinkedIn or another digital platform. Totally. So yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is absolutely a, a remarkable tool. There's, there's no other social platform right now that allows you to drill down to the types of people that you're wanting to connect with. So the first thing that I'll say, because the overwhelming people, majority of the people just have no idea what they're doing on there and it just blows me away. 
Because at the end of the day, LinkedIn and any other social platform, but let's talk about LinkedIn specifically here, is, is just a big networking room. And if you can just grasp hold of that, that it's not only a big networking room, but you can choose which networking room you go into. You can choose who's going to be in that networking room and you can choose what you're going to say to those people. And what often happens, uh, and I liken it this, and you, you would have had this, I guarantee if anyone's on, well, I guarantee if anyone's on any kind of social media, you've had, you've had these types of connections uh, where somebody reaches out and then they pitch something to you straight away. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> and so that's like, now, now let's take that into a networking event format, like physical networking event. Hi, Ryan. My name's Cameron. Want to buy my stuff? No, Cameron. It's like you're, it's, <laughs> you're running the hell away, right? It's like, you're, you're, it's crazy. And, and every, I guarantee every single person listening into this would want to get out of that conversation immediately. So don't do it online because it's exactly the same thing, right? And so when you understand that, the other one is, hey, Ryan, my name is Cameron. And then it's just silence and you don't hear from them ever again, right? It's like, you know, just imagine in a networking event and you're like, we're face to face. And I'm going, hi, Ryan, I'm Cameron. Hi, Cameron, I'm Ryan. <laughs> and then it's just like totally awkward silence. It's like, again, you want to go, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, I don't feel comfortable in this situation right now, right? So think about it from like, that's the first thing that I would suggest is, is realize that it is just like a big networking room or a networking event. And if you can think about it from that point of view, you can start to think about what would actually be nice to do here. And it is, in, you know, introduce yourself, be of value, be of service and have a real conversation. And so that really leads it to the next part, which is that I try, you know, for me, it's about, I want to get people offline as soon as I possibly can. I use LinkedIn and other social platforms to build relationships in a leveraged way. All right. There's no way in any capacity that I could have built the thousands and thousands of relationships offline in the locations that I had without thousands and thousands of dollars of money, thousands of hours of travel, thousands of, you know, tons of emissions from plane flights that I would have had to take just to meet the people, let alone to actually then build an actual relationship with them. All of that stuff can be done online first and foremost, and then it becomes taking it offline. Like the example of the bowling night that you came to, it can be in the form of a conversation on the phone. It can be in a conversation in the form of a video call. It can be if you're in person, uh, being here in Colorado now, I've got a lot of connections that I've built here now already. I've already met a lot of those people in person because I'm here in person. But otherwise, I've, you know, there's a number of uh, just next week, I think I've got like three or four phone calls that I've got and I've only just started a new connection campaign to a, to a number of uh, C-level executives and successful founders of companies and these people that have been pe- in there for years and years and because there's a genuine reach out, a genuine wanting to build relationships, a genuine focus on relationships, the ability to actually take people offline increases because, again, people's de- and this, I think this is a good final part to cover here. People's default position on social media right now, especially LinkedIn, is, dude, what are you going to sell me? Right. Because that's been their experience and quite rightly so. And I love that because I know that when I'm able to show that I'm completely different, then they've just generalized, and we go back to that term, they've just generalized everyone else as the salesy type of person, and I 
am nothing like them. It allows you to stand out. You are the diamond in the rough. Exactly. It's like going into that networking event in person and everybody sucks at networking. (laughs) And if you can just be remotely good at networking, (laughs) you walk into that room, people are going to gravitate towards you. It's like finally someone who's real, someone who actually wants to be of value, someone who actually is valuable and wants to build a relationship versus just pitch me something or go completely silent. So maybe the final thing that I'd mention there. I love it. Well, I can't believe it's already been as long as it has been, but I can because there's so much info that we packed in here. There's a lot of brain techniques and self-awareness looking at situations in your life that could potentially be your unique factor that you just might have stopped because somebody else thought the music was uncool at the time. This idea of leveraging online to get them offline and not worrying about being the best networker, but being a good networker in a group of people who are terrible at networking. (laughs) Cameron, I love what you're doing. I'm appreciating uh, and I very much value our relationship. Uh, I'm excited to see you continue to grow and, and travel around with like, I'm expecting you at some point to have a private plane full of grand pianos and you just roll into a station and you're like, all right, which grand piano do I want for this one? But that is definitely unique. Music is something that scares me. So maybe sometime you'll have to be on stage playing and maybe I'll do an interpretive dance and we can share the stage together. <laughs> Dude, interpretive dance, I'm going to hold you to that. Everybody on the call, hold, hold, hold Ryan to that. There is going to be some form of interpretive dance in the near future. Absolutely. Well, hey, there's a lot of room for interpretation with all this stuff that you did. So everybody out there who's listening, do your own interpretive dance. Listen to this podcast again if it was just so amazing as I found it to be. I love listening to my own podcast because my guests are amazing. Uh, Another great example here. And if you want to hear more amazing guests, just check out worldofspeakers.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms and subscribe. Leave us a little bit of love notes so that I can use that for my stacking foundation that I'll carry around with me. You know, this is so much fun. Cameron, continue to basically change the world with a single bag <laughs> as you travel around. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to hold a garage sale soon. I'm inspired. I'm going to I'm going to hold a garage sale get, get rid of some of the stuff. <laughs> garage sale garage sale with interpretive dance. I think there's a winner. That is way better than just a regular uh, uh you know fluorescent sign, but doing interpretive <laughs> like you know, it's all marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. In a world where everyone is decent at advertising garage sales, you have a chance to be a little bit better and stand out from the rest and Same thing goes for speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Love it, man. Ryan, always a pleasure, dude. All right, buddy. Well, hey, if somebody wants to contact you, where do they find you? I'm assuming LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. uh, So Ask Cameron Brown is the the thing, but you just search Cameron Brown and you'll find me. Um, Any of the other social platforms is the handle is Ask Cameron Brown, A-S-K Cameron Brown. And uh, and yeah, the website thrivingcollective.com. Awesome. And I know we didn't get to dive into your TEDx talk, but anybody who's listening, the next stop should be Googling Cameron Brown TEDx. It is epic. He literally brings 40 different people from around the world on the stage. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's get out of here. We got all kinds of uh, world-changing things to do. Thanks again, Cameron. Appreciate your time. It's been great, man. All right. Adios. Adios.